This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Our 2021 college football preview is next, right here on Michigan Podcast. There's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. Looks deep for Anthony Clark. Waits for it. Here for Clark. This is no time for that. In the pocket and a sack. Tim Jamison. Brady gets terrific. Present and a touchdown night again. Schultz just before Brazil got him. And a leaping interception by Woodson. Harbaugh back to throw over the middle. Caught by Kohler at the five on his feet. Touchdown, Michigan. On his way. It's good. He's 5'7", 179 pounds. A junior at Michigan. But Jamie Morris packs a wallop, and he delivers for Bo Schimbecker. And here's your first play. Pressure coming. Second. It is Glenn Steele, number 81, who fought his way through the traffic. Option. And Robinson calls his own number, and he's going to score. Oh, an easy touchdown for Robinson and Michigan. championship again because we're going to play as a team and when we play as a team and the old season is over you and I know it's going to be Michigan again I'm Steve Dace. The most wonderful time of the year is near. That's right. It is time for our 2021 college football preview. We actually began it last week here on this channel on Bigger 10 with our crystal ball predictions, the 25 things we think will or won't happen this upcoming college football season. If you haven't watched that, make sure when you're done watching this, you do, because that's a ton of fun. Uh, This week, we're going to delve a little bit more into detail. I'm going to release for you what I think the final college football playoff rankings will look like, as well as who I think will make the college football playoff. And then we'll take a look at how I think each of the Power Five conferences will finish this fall as well. And we'll go through those predictions with our good friend Mark Rogers here. Uh, One of the only, if not the only, reasonable Ohio State fans coming up uh, a little later on in the show. But I want to begin with uh, something uniquely parochial here as it pertains to uh, the name that uh, we bear here on this podcast, and that's Michigan. And after this episode, and now that my preview is done, and Big Ten Media Days are nigh, when we finish this episode, I'm going to be finished, at least for a while, 
talking about big picture stuff with the program and its future and its direction and maybe the future of its current head coach, Jim Harbaugh. And here's why. On a personal note, I, I really want to enjoy the season. I'm a, I love college football. I love Michigan football, even in its current declining, diminished state. And it's a Sabbath activity for me to get away from, uh, you know, the demands of my daily job. And I want to be able to enjoy it. Secondly, I think if I continue to entertain these particular narratives, it will to cloud my reaction to the season. And I really think it's best just to let this season speak for itself one way or the other, because the season itself is going to tell us what the direction of the program is and or should be. So there's no point in getting out ahead of the results. I I don't have a rooting interest in making a change. I would prefer to not make a change. I, I mean, I'm, I'm closer to 50 than 30. I don't, I don't want to see the team suck this year to have a coaching change. I'm not completely confident Michigan could land a, a Matt Campbell level of candidate. I'm not completely confident they wouldn't completely screw up the coaching search. I, I would much rather achieve enough to maintain consistency. I, I'd much rather Jim Harbaugh comes out here lays the smack down, sends a message. The slaps come out in the comments section and blast me as a hater and, uh, oh, ye of little faith. I would love, love that feedback. I'm a fan. I've just lost all hope that that will be the case. But I I would love to have that hope restored and renewed. I'm going to be rooting for Michigan to win every game with one exception. If we're in this middling arena again, There's only two times in my life as a fan I've rooted against us as a fan because in both cases I thought it was best for the bigger picture if we lost those games. The the Alamo Bowl in 2005 against Nebraska, that Michigan team was way too talented to go 7-4. and four. I thought if they won that game and, and finished in the top 25, we'd rationalize it away. But losing as a double-digit favorite I thought would probably cause the changes that needed to happen to occur. And that's what happened, and they did. And Michigan started the next year 11-0 and and up to number two in the country. The other time was Brady Hoke's last game against Ohio State. I just did not trust Michigan would ultimately get rid of him. And we were better off losing that game and moving on than winning it to go 6-6 six and six and trying to salvage Brady Nope, who's still clapping somewhere. I, I don't want something middling. I want something decisive this season. I want Jim... To, to pimp slap doubters like me or I want the program to show us that it is time to move on. To me, some kind of middling result that we're not sure about and we're all arguing with each other. You know, there are no lukewarm hells in areas of competition. That's the worst outcome. But we'll cross that bridge at the end of the year when we come to it. For now, we're not there. It's July. The season hasn't started yet. So I'm going to be a fan and I'm going to try to analyze this as it's happening after this episode in real time. But to get there, let me make one final definitive analysis on this guy's future. I don't think it has anything to do, barring something like 10 and 2, 
with the number of wins. I don't think it's six and six, he's gone, seven and five, he's gone, nine and three, he's back. If they start great and then get mollywopped by Penn State and Ohio State at the end of the year and finish nine and three, anybody happy with that? Isn't that the same thing we've seen a million times already? So I don't think that record works. Let's say they're seven and five. They get off to a slow start with all these coaching changes and then pull a mammoth upset at the end of the year and spoil Ohio State's season. Anybody could be saying after we finally beat Ohio State, hey, get rid of Jim Harbaugh. Of course not. So I don't think it's about the record. I think it's about what we see. The strength of that record one way or the other. How do they look? Like, I don't think you can go... 0-2 against Mel Tucker, for example. So I I think it's really about where there is what the the sense of direction is for the program more than any kind of specific record. Barring, of course, if they're 10-2, it doesn't matter if he loses badly to Ohio State again. We're not firing a coach with a 10-2 record. If he's 4-8, he's not coming back. I mean, those things, though, if I have to explain that to you, you're probably too dumb to be watching this, okay? I'm talking to those of you that are smarter than that. In between those areas, it really comes down to what's the perception of the program. Is it going somewhere? Or is it stalled? And in that calculus, certain games and certain moments mean more than others. I think that's another good reason to just let this thing now play itself out. So we've had an entire off-season to look at these meta-narratives, to discuss them, break them down. Now it's time to just take and absorb the season as it goes and let the results of this season speak for themselves, which is why, until we get one way or the other into a definitive juncture of the season to come, I'm retiring from the meta-narrative analysis uh, business, at least temporarily. I'm now putting the fanalist hat on. I want to enjoy the season. And then I want to let the season speak for itself rather than trying to get out ahead of it and speaking for it. A big thank you to our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast because you make these episodes possible with your support. And we get asked all the time, hey, we love what you guys do. How can we support you? Well, for just $5 a month, you can support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. And hey, college basketball may be done, but now we're into the Major League Baseball handicapping. And we had an outstanding season in Major League Baseball last year. We had a pretty good season in college basketball this year as well, as you can see right there from something we recently posted on our Patreon page. So five $5 a month to get some pretty good sports handicapping, an opportunity to win some money like when we recommended you take before the tournament, Baylor 6-1 to one to win the national championship. You saw that thing pay off, right? Well, your $5 a month pays off when you support us at patreon.com slash Michigan Podcast. Time yet again here on Michigan Podcast for the 10-Minute War as we welcome in our good friend Mark Rogers, perhaps the one and only reasonable Ohio State Bucknut fan. And, of course, he's got a fantastic college football channel himself right here on YouTube. Mark Rogers, the voice of college football. Good to see you again, brother. How you been? I am doing well. And, of course, 
when you live in the Northeast or the Midwest, you hold on to summer as long as possible, but there's also that internal conflict because you want football season to get here. Indeed. I, I mean, I busted out the Desmond Howard uh, Heisman Trophy throwback jersey for this episode. It is our college football preview. Uh, a lot more than what we're going to have time to cover, by the way, is available for free on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. If you want to read the rest of our complete 2021 college football preview. Before we get to this preview, I want to give you a chance to respond to my opening monologue where I talked about my thoughts on Harbaugh and the future, his future here, and then why after this episode I'm putting it to bed until we get enough data from the season to tell us what direction the program is going in. And we may not get that until after the season, who knows, because I want to enjoy the season, you know, as a fan, and then I want to let the results speak for themselves. But I really don't believe, barring something 4-8 and eight or 10-2, and two, I think anything in between really comes down to how the team looks, particularly in, in key games. Um, I think what Sam Webb over at uh, the Michigan Insider said recently on the 24-7 National Podcast, 8-4 and four depends on who those four losses are to. And do they look bad in those losses? So I, I think this really is about the direction of the program more than a particular record, unless it's a particular record that is such a, a dramatic deviation one way or the other that you cannot ignore. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I do think that the, uh, the record itself, um, taking 2020 into context, it being a six-game season, isn't what most people around college football believe the narrative, the vibe, the environment to be. Those are two different uh, conclusions. Uh, uh, what Jim Harbaugh has achieved at Michigan through the first four or five seasons there um, is certainly a cut above what was achieved there for the previous seven or eight years and on par with what Lloyd Carr outside of a national championship was achieving. It's more about his inability in the big games, of course, and then also just the the trajectory or what we see. All we've got in terms of evidence of decline are six games. What we had seen prior to that against the, the last evidence being that Citrus Bowl game against Alabama is pretty much Jim Harbaugh fair, which is not necessarily achieving the expectations of Michigan fans, but is pretty darn good in top 10 to 15 in the nation. But it's been everything else that circled the program and the indicators of what's to come that has been uh, what has troubled Michigan fans and has caused this hot seat to grow even most likely hotter for the people like us that do the evaluations out there that don't count, but we can only uh, conjecture on what the legitimate evaluation is, the one that counts uh, inside of that, that administration building, what that's going to look like. And like you, I think the wise conclusion is not necessarily a number, but it's the context and it's a keen and very insightful look at the program, the development of the talent the uh, procurement of the talent and how that's being displayed on the field and where it's headed, that's going to be the, the indicator and that's going to be the final judgment or should be. 
With that said, then, let's go on and look more bigger picture, shall we? Uh, as we continue my look at uh, or our look at my 2021 college football preview. For those of you that are new here, my preview is a little different. Um, it's more of a forecast. I've been doing this since I was a, a sophomore in high school for fun. Uh, I just think I just love college football so much, and it helps the uh, the offseason to go by faster. So let's start, Mark, with what I think will be the final top 25 college football playoff rankings on the first Sunday in December when the committee rolls out after the entire regular season is played. This is what I believe the top 25 is going to look like. We start at the bottom. I think Liberty sneaks its way in again, uh, looking at the quarterback it has coming back, the amount of starters it has coming back, uh, and it's built a brand for itself now as well. I've got Ole Miss in there at 24, Washington at 23, TCU at 22. I think it's a it's it's kind of a bounce back for Gary Patterson, not to where the program was four or five years ago, but better than what it's been for the last three or four years. And I think Notre Dame takes a bit of a step back with all of their losses. Uh, they, they've taken a pretty big hit in roster depth as well. And when I say they take a step back, I think this will be a 9-3, and 8-4 and four kind of a season before they're probably a, a top-10 team again next year. So th- that's my, the bottom five of what I think the college football playoff rankings will look like. Your thoughts? Steve, if you could see my top 25 predictions and see my conference by conference, and nobody take a screenshot, I'm going to pull it down because only about four or five of these videos have been released. It's scary. It's scary how close they are to really? what I put together nice. here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I will speak to that five with Notre Dame in mind in particular because I did some cross-checking once I saw your your conference standings and the final records and the conference records to do some cross-checking on Notre Dame. Because what I caught in Athlons is that if you look at the Athlons projections and predictions on each team is they are predicting Notre Dame to go 10-2. and two. But if you take all the key games that Notre Dame plays and you trace them back to their record predictions for those teams, they're predicting Notre Dame to beat all those teams. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't add up. Steve, you're very accurate. I will say this, uh, regardless of how accurate you are in the conclusion, you're very consistent. So Notre Dame, I believe, is going to go 9-3 and three if I'm doing the math correctly uh, in tracing some of the schedules back because I was I was curious to see at number 21 in the nation where you had Notre Dame sitting in terms of a record, and it appears to be 9-3. and three. Uh, I, like you, think Gary Patterson's going to have a bounce-back season at TCU. Uh, I think that they are set up with a quarterback who's uh, come through a horrific offseason in terms of health, but bounced back in Max Duggan. And they've got a defense that is primed to to play really well, maybe not challenge the upper tier in the Big 12, but play really well. And and, uh, Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin operating as possibly the best play caller in the sport uh, is going to be a fun team to watch, of course. All right, my next five. All right, these would be teams just outside of New Year's Six consideration. I think Florida has a season similar to Notre Dame, kind of a reset. Remember, as low as they were last year, they still went 8-4. and four. I've got Arizona State, uh, which I really struggled figuring out. You know, this team, I think, actually, on yards per play, was best on offense and defense in the Pac-12 last year. 
and they got everybody coming back. But with the controversy there and everything else, I, I just really struggled with what to do with them. So I kind of split the difference and just kind of went nine and three. All right. So I've got them at number 19. I've got Miami at 18, USC at 17, which if I'm a USC fan, that's the worst finish. If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm a USC fan, I have the same opinion I just had at the top of the show with Jim Harbaugh. Give me a definitive statement one way or the other. That would be a terrible finish if I'm a USC fan. I'm in this lukewarm hell again. And then Louisiana, which brings like everybody back from what was an outstanding group of five team last year. And I think they'll give Texas all they can handle like they did Iowa State last year. And recall Maryland, who I don't think is as good as this Louisiana team, that Maryland team beating Tom Herman on the road in his first game at Texas as well. Uh, That's a very difficult opener for Steve Sarkeesian. And that's another game where they kind of got to go all in to win that game because Louisiana is no joke. But then the very next week, they go on the road at Arkansas and kind of a renewal of an old-fashioned Southwest Conference rivalry that you know Arkansas fans are going to go ape to have Texas in their stadium. So that's a difficult beginning for Steve Sarkeesian. Your thoughts on on that group of five right there? The Texas-Louisiana game, Steve, almost reminds me of some of those early-round NCAA basketball matchups that you see where you have this super-talented young team taking on a bunch of codgy old veterans, seniors, fifth-year seniors from a from a lower division, uh, you know, quote unquote, group of five school that pulls off the five twelve upset because they could they they have just played together for so long. And Louisiana does have the most production of any team in the country coming back, as you note. And then you're going to have a new new coaching staff, new head coach, new quarterback at Texas week one. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens there. And I, like you, Clay Helton has done just enough, and that appears again to be just enough. Uh, nine and three, eight and four, number 17 in the country. Don't win the Pac-12, but can you really fire the guy? Yes, that is that is hell for USC fans who want him out immediately. Florida has to be the team, as I scan a lot of national publications and hear from a number of different people, to have the biggest discrepancy of where people think they're headed after that just uneven season last year, where on one hand they accomplished so much. If you would have said prior to 2020, Florida's going to win the East, beat Georgia head-to-head, play the best game that anybody plays all season against Alabama, take them to the wire, basically. All the positives, but then on the negative side, the shoe throwing, the lost LSU knocks him out of the playoff, the debacle against Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl with or the Cotton Bowl where they just give up. Dan Mullen acting like a fool at midfield against Missouri, blaming the crowd of 22,000 at Texas A&M for a loss. There was such an uneven season that I see them firmly in the top 10 from some people, then other people just saying, you know, the wheels are somewhat coming off. They're not recruiting well. They're 7-5. and five. Uh, So they're going to be an intriguing team. Uh, to watch as well in Arizona State. I'm right there with you. They were my not necessarily surprise team, but dark horse to possibly win the Pac-12 championship this year. As you say, all that offensive talent coming back. Jaden Daniels, just an emerging star. I like what Herm Edwards was doing uh, as of about six weeks ago. But now with the controversy swirling, uh, I I don't know where they're going to play. So I'm probably in that range as well with ASU. All right, let's look at our next quintet of teams as I project 
what I think the final college football playoff rankings will be in early December. These are teams that I think are right at the edge of competing for the New Year's Six or even making it. I've got LSU at number 15. I've got Indiana 14th. Penn State with a bounce back season, the first time ever a preseason top 10 team started 0-5. I think they bounce back and get up to number 13 this year. I've got Oregon at 12, and then North Carolina at 11, making its second consecutive appearance in the New Year 6. Mark, what do you think? Oregon, the most talented team in the Pac-12, at least statistically, if you believe the recruiting rankings, working on a third consecutive recruiting championship of sorts in the Pac-12, but a pedestrian quarterback in Anthony Brown. I'm curious to see, of course, everybody's outcome, but specifically Penn State in the Big Ten, because I want to see if the five games out of the gate in 2020 was an aberration, and I believe to a large part it is. I see that it's difficult for you to make any separation between Indiana and Penn State, and I get that. There probably is little there, so it's going to be a huge game between those two to see um, you know, who's the second team in the Big Ten East, or possibly can one of them knock off the Buckeyes. And, of course, IU has uh, Ohio State in Bloomington. Uh, I don't necessarily know that that's a home field advantage considering the, the crowd uh, ratio there, but I'm a little bit... Uh, or you're higher on Indiana than I am. I'm more of a Penn State believer this season. All right, now we get to the top 10. I've got Cincinnati finishing as the highest-rated group of five team. I think they will split those two non-conference games at Indiana and at Notre Dame. Texas A&M I have finishing number nine. Uh, I've got Utah I'm big on the Utes. I think Utah wins the Pac-12. I love the addition of Charlie Brewer. I think it's the most underrated transfer addition in the sport. He's the perfect quarterback for them. It's I mean, what Kyle Whittingham has and what they did at Baylor under, under Matt Rule is just a similar style. He knows who he is. Steadying force. I think they're the best at line play in the league on both sides. So I have Utah winning the Pac-12. I have Wisconsin with a major bounce back. This is kind of new for me. My numbers typically think Wisconsin is overrated the last few years. This is the first time that I'm actually more bullish on them than the market as a whole. So I expect a big bounce back for Wisconsin and Penn State, who, by the way, opened the season against each other. And I like Oklahoma to finish sixth. I think I've just seen this movie before. I mean, go back to the Stoops years. It just seems like whenever Oklahoma is your pre – one year they were preseason number one, didn't they finish seven and five, I think? It just seems yeah. like when it, whenever this is the time that everyone says this is their year and they're number one, um, they just don't seem to live up to those expectations. I still think it's a very talented team. I actually think they've lost a lot more on defense than people are, are acknowledging. And remember, Spencer Rattler wasn't even the All-Big 12 quarterback last year, even though it looks like he's going to be maybe the number one pick in the NFL draft. So what do you think on those teams that I have rated 10 through 6? Well, that's the most intriguing five set of five out of what we're going to see here in the top 25 because obviously there's a connection between those five and the five that matter or the four that matter uh, just above them. Uh, as you mentioned, Oklahoma's the darlings of the season. Iowa State's kind of the darlings of the dark horses and Oklahoma's the darlings of the elites. 
in terms of pushing past. I just think, Mark, they're getting way too much street cred for beating a Florida team that half its players that mattered opted out and didn't want to even play. And the ones that showed up, clearly they gave their heart and soul in that SEC championship game and didn't didn't care. I think way too much is being made of that. Not nearly enough is being made of the fact that Iowa State was sitting on the doorstep there of winning the Big 12 and threw an interception what at the goal line or in the end zone in the final seconds. I, I just think there's a lot of of – I think you know it's the it's equivalent to I may you know what I just had a lot of beers I want to remember that so and so looked that good at 2 a.m. Maybe I'm inflating things. Okay, I, I just think a lot of people are inflating what they thought they saw at the end of the year from Oklahoma last season. If Matt Campbell can't do it this year, and I'm not stating like he's been unsuccessful for 15 years, so it's it's not that tape. But this is a prime window for this team. Man, quarterback, running back, tight end, best wide receiver, defense, they lose very little. The entire offensive line comes back, plus key backups along the offensive line. They are loaded. They are that that proverbial NCAA, uh, but with more talent, uh, NCAA mm-hmm. first-round um, men's basketball team that pulls off the 12-5 upset. So, yes, uh, so you've obviously made the call for Iowa State over Oklahoma most are considering Oklahoma to be the class of the league, if not the nation. And um, with Oklahoma, there is such a difference between making the playoff and winning two playoff games to win a championship. And they've been so far away from being that team that I still see them just reaching the playoff, not necessarily being able to do anything in the playoff. Um, so you're, you're, keeping, obviously, Cincinnati one step away from doing everything that most of us want to see who are rooting for chaos, and that's Cincinnati to complete the 13-0 and conference championship with the two huge wins against Indiana and Notre Dame because that would be phenomenal. Well, that brings us to the top five. You've mentioned Iowa State. Look, Think about this. Could you make the case they have the best player in the Big 12 at every position group? Brock Purdy was the all-Big 12 quarterback last year, not Spencer Rattler. Brees Hall is the best tailback. They've got the best offensive line in the league. I mean, my all-Big 12, off, my all-Big 12 team, I've got three Iowa State offensive linemen. They were, then they win the Joe Moyer Award, or finalists, I think, last year. Will Arnold on the defensive line, leading returning sacker in the Big 12. Uh, you've got Mike Rose at linebacker. He's on the brink of being the first four-time all-Big 12 player, consensus all-Big 12 player in the history of the league. He was Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year last year. Greg Eisworth um, could be a three-time All-Big 12 uh, player. I mean, you could make the case they've got the best player in the conference. Iowa State does. Charlie Kohler won the Mackey Award last year. Xavier Hutchinson was first-team All-Big 12 and was a Big 12 Newcomer of the Year last year at wide receiver. I mean, you could make the case they've got the best position player at every group at Iowa State. So I think that Iowa State and Oklahoma will split – one team will win the regular season. I think that'll be Oklahoma with the game in Norman. And I think Iowa State ends up winning the game in Dallas to win the Big 12 championship because they're, because I think they have more firepower to do what Baylor almost did to Oklahoma a couple of years ago. And then if you look at the rest of that top five, I think Ohio State and Georgia are 1-2 heading into the final weekend and both maybe lose their conference championship games. But I just think they, in the end, even if they do, they're so overwhelmingly ahead of everyone else. They still make the playoffs. So I have a playoff of Alabama versus Ohio State in one semifinal. And Clemson and Georgia play for the second time in the other semifinal. 
Mike or Mark, what do you think? Those are my final five teams. Yeah, so one last note on Iowa State would be Brock Purdy's development and him just becoming a better quarterback. He's a really good one right now, but nine interceptions last year and some of them in key situations, as you just mentioned, I think that's going to be critical for them doing what uh, most expect them not to be able to quite be able to pull off. Uh, those are the four best teams in the country. Uh, again, Oklahoma has to prove, I guess I'm going to be a step behind the curve that if they finally push through and are able to beat one of those four programs, kudos to them. But they're so far from that, at least in previous attempts, that I, like you, believe those are those have been distinguished as the four most talented rosters in college football. And um, I, like you, think Georgia's better than Clemson. It, it appears as though you believe Georgia's a little bit better than Clemson. And um, Alabama's just the class of the whole deal. Um, Ohio State has enough uh, buffer between them and the rest of the Big Ten that I think C.J. Stroud's going to have some time to progress and, and work into what he needs to be come Big Ten championship time. And if your prognostications are correct, we're going to see for the first time in the eighth season of this playoff, teams lose conference championships and still make it to the playoff. Let's go through the conferences really quick, one by one. The Power Five conferences, how I think each of these leagues will finish this season. Let's start in the ACC. I think North Carolina and Miami end up tied atop the Coastal Division by, by virtue of winning head-to-head. I think North Carolina advances to the ACC championship game. And then I kind of think it's a typical ACC Coastal muddled mess uh, after that. A lot of 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and 5-7. Five, five and seven. Uh, over in the Atlantic Division, I just think it's the Clemson Invitational once more. I've got NC State finishing in second place, but a distant second. They've got a lot coming back from one of the surprise teams last year. I've got Boston College with a very favorable schedule. Eight and four for Jeff Hefley in his th- second year uh, is more than respectable. And if there are changes at places like Michigan, uh, that would get the attention of a school like that if they could not get a Matt Campbell-level coach. And then I think Florida State does better in year two under Mike Norvell. You can look at the rest of what I think of the ACC. You have a quick take on what stands out there to you, Mark? My quick take is, like I said off the top, it's amazing to see my my uh, conference standings versus yours. They are so similar. I'm still, uh, as I unveil these videos, still giving myself a little wiggle room because I have yet to unveil conference championship games. But I am considering North Carolina making that move against Clemson, winning that game, much like you are uh, looking for that upset elsewhere. Next conference we'll take a look at. Let's go to the Big 12. I've got Oklahoma finishing atop Iowa State second, but they meet again in the Big 12 championship game where I think Iowa State gets the win that it almost got a year ago. I think TCU and Texas are virtually the same. TCU has a little bit more favorable schedule, wins head-to-head at home. uh, Therefore, they get the nod above them. And then Oklahoma State, I'm not really sure what to think about them. I I don't know the last time we've seen an Oklahoma State team that we thought going into the year was going to actually rely and live uh, on, on its defense. I don't know how that paradigm works with Mike Gundy, so I wasn't sure what to do with them. Uh, and then I've just got, a, again, a pretty muddled mess uh, the rest of the way until, of course, you get to Kansas. I approach these prediction seasons trying to look for that team or handful of teams that could possibly break through and surprise people because I want to be the guy that said, I told you so, look at them. Uh, North Carolina would be that team, although that wouldn't be a monumental surprise. TCU would be the team in the Big 12, but... 
U- Utah is my team this year for that. Utah is. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it appears so. Um, based on the unit rankings, though, I just think that there's this, a distinguished gap between the two best teams in the league and everybody else. I agree. I think there is quite a bit of gap, actually, uh, between those two. All right. Let's go to our native Big Ten here, Mark, in the East Division. I've got Ohio State wrapping this thing up by, uh, yeah, I don't know, um, Veterans Day uh, by a three-game lead. I think Penn State and Indiana have the same record, but Penn State gets the nod ahead of them by virtue of beating the Hoosiers at home. I think Michigan gets off to a strong start, and then I think they get punched in the mouth in Madison, Wisconsin, don't really ever recover, finish under 500 in the league in 7-5 and five overall. And then I've got Maryland and Rutgers both on the brink of bowl eligibility at five and seven and then Michigan State bringing up the rear at four and eight but I think one of those two Big Ten wins will be against Michigan and East Lansing. Indiana seems to be the team that everybody likes to have a puncher's chance against Ohio State at home and if you see any upsets uh, of a record of any prognostications from anyone it comes from Indiana I'm going to go in another direction you're going another direction when it comes to uh, the Big Ten championship game uh, with a loss for the Buckeyes right there. And, um, yeah, I like Maryland to actually make a bowl game, get that one extra win to make it to six. I could see that too. But but this scenario that I'm laying out here, there would absolutely be, if this is how the season plays out, there will absolutely be a coaching change at Michigan. He won't be fired. He's too proud. He's too decorated of an alum. But this would be, uh, he has resigned. This If this is how the season plays out, and the way I project it, there will be a coaching change at Michigan, without a doubt. West Division, uh, I have Wisconsin winning that division. Iowa, it's even though it's not just it, even though it's a one game difference. My numbers, though, say that Wisconsin's almost better than everybody else in the West to the rate that Ohio State is to everybody in the East. My numbers are very bullish on Wisconsin. They expect Graham Mertz to have a, a breakout season. They like Wisconsin a lot. And then again. It's kind of, you know, I have no clue. Flip a coin. I, like that. I cannot believe Nebraska is laying seven and a half in that opening game at Illinois. On the road, I think Illinois has got the better quarterback. Might have a better defense. I, I don't get that uh, at all, given the state of those programs. But your thoughts on what I have on the Big, 12 West, or Big Ten West? A lot of people are projecting a really bad season for Illinois. So I know that you like Illinois a little bit better than, a lot better than most, a little bit better than me. Uh, we could have a second firing in the Big Ten if your numbers hold there with Purdue and Jeff Brom. Maybe a third with um, Nebraska now with a new AD there as well. Who knows? I don't know what Trev Alberts and Scott Frost relationship is. I, I don't know. I, I made it through this offseason thinking I was going to pick Iowa. I'm, I'm rethinking that and actually have rethought it. Uh, again, that's going to be released at some point. But I think Iowa and Wisconsin are clearly – they just – they just have the best, not just the best rosters. They really don't have necessarily the best rosters, just the best programs, the best development, and know exactly who they are and what they do. And Wisconsin will continue to just be the better version of Iowa. Uh, and, and that uh, I see, I believe, based on your record there, Wisconsin gets a an important win for the Big Ten outside the conference against Notre Dame. Correct. Yep. All right, let's go over to the Pac-12. Uh, I have, again, I've already kind of teased this a little bit. I've got Oregon edging out Washington, but you can see I've got those teams very close there, only separated by one game. I think Cal will have a bounce-back season and take advantage of these other three teams that are kind of in flux there in Stanford, Oregon State, 
and Washington State. Over in the Pac-12 South, the much stronger division overall. I think you've got three pretty consistent, if they were standalone entities, top 15 teams in Utah, USC, and Arizona State, but they're all going to play each other, so they all won't be. I think the Utes, though, have the strongest season and end up winning the Pac-12, beating the Oregon Ducks, who do not get a third straight conference title. What do you think, Mark? I think that the Pac-12 South is the most unpredictable division in college football right now. I think there's a prohibitive favorite or two in every other division slash conference, uh, but I can see four teams possibly getting into the mix. The, you've got the same three at the top that I do. And then finally, the SEC. Uh, over in the SEC East, I think this is the Georgia invitation. I think this is Kirby Smart's best team. I think they've got a quarterback that has the potential uh, to be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft and JT Daniels and who I have picked to win the Heisman Trophy. So I think Georgia uh, goes undefeated, beats Clemson week one, runs rough shot through the rest of the SEC until it runs into Alabama in the SEC uh, championship game, I've got the Crimson Tide winning the West Division, losing one game at Texas A&M, which is just what you, Nick Saban asked for. Give me all the chips on all the shoulders, please, and let me go into the SEC championship game with a former assistant coach ranked number one in the country and undefeated. That's like that is a nocturnal emission waiting to happen for Nick Saban. All right. I don't want to play him in that scenario at all. I still though have overall a strong year for Texas A&M who I think could potentially have the best defense in the country. LSU, another team I wasn't sure what to do with top five or six roster overall. So many questions. Uh, I, I kind of split the difference with them like I did with Arizona State. And then you can see what I think about the rest of the SEC West. I think Auburn making, you know, they're kind of doing the reverse rich rod here where Auburn went out of the family to bring in an outsider from a totally different part of the country in order to bring in a pro-style traditional attack from more of a gimmicky spread offense. And I don't know, that's just different blocking, scheming, everything. And you're trying to do that on the fly in the toughest league in the country. I kind of think, and you got a roadie at Penn State in the non-conference, I kind of think it might be tough sledding week one for or or year one for for Brian Harson down there on the plains. But Mark, your view of my picks for the SEC? Yeah, I'm not going to be surprised by that. But I think uh, Brian Harson's capable, and I think he's a good hire, and I think they've done something long range that's going to work. Florida is going to set themselves up for whether it's the year that you're projecting or one less win is, is what I'm projecting for Dan Mullen to be on the hot seat if he sticks around. Uh, for the next season in 2022. Uh, I tend to like Kentucky a little bit more than Florida to actually unseat uh, Florida as the number two team. And um, apparently uh, Alabama loses at Texas A&M, but they still win the division there. And um, I'm more curious about some of your out-of-conference games. I see Ole Miss is going to lose. I think they've got Louisville as their marquee matchup outside the league. I I think that they'll take care of business and Missouri loses to Boston College. But in terms of wins and losses, Steve, I am pretty much right there with you on all accounts, except for, again, Kentucky takes the two spot in the East. So, Mark, final thoughts. You've had a chance to see the whole preview. I mean, did anything anything other than without comparing notes whatsoever or knowing what each other was going to pick, we are apparently sharing a brain. Um, Anything else stand out to you? 
just that, uh, man, I want this uh, party to get broken up. For as much as I shouldn't want that, I'm an Ohio State fan. What's wrong with college football? Nothing. Just keep us in the playoffs. Let us uh, dominate the Big Ten and get one of those uh, four spots. But uh, I just don't enjoy it. I think it's stale. I think it needs new blood. I don't. I think there are a couple teams on the cusp of that. You're sliding Iowa State at least to a Big 12 championship. But in terms of the greater picture is what people uh, care about is the playoff, obviously, and you don't have them quite reaching that level. You've got the four powers, as I probably am going to end up with it as well through all this. But I want to see whether it's Oregon, Wisconsin, Utah, North Carolina, Iowa State, somebody, Cincinnati, uh, break up this playoff and uh, get some fresh blood in there. By the way, Alabama, Georgia have played twice for the SEC title in the Kirby Smart, Nick Saban eras. In those two games, Alabama is 2-0, and despite the fact they led those two games, Mark, by less than two total minutes. And also Georgia had a two-score lead in the second half in both of those games. Mm-hmm. So good to see you again, as always. Next week, we go back to regular weekly programming, so we look forward to seeing more of you, Mark. Take care, brother. God bless. Awesome, Steve. Thank you so much. You bet. We'll come back with our Twitter poll results and feedback of the week next. Thank you much, Mark. Have a good A big thank you to our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast because you make these episodes possible with your support. And we get asked all the time, hey, we love what you guys do. How can we support you? Well, for just $5 a month, you can support us at patreon.com slash Michigan podcast. And hey, college basketball may be done, but now we're into the Major League Baseball handicapping. And we had an outstanding season in Major League Baseball last year. We had a pretty good season in college basketball this year as well, as you can see right there from something we recently posted on our Patreon page. So five $5 a month to get some pretty good sports handicapping and opportunity to win some money like when we recommended you take before the tournament Baylor 6 to 1 to win the national championship you saw that thing pay off right well your $5 a month pays off when you support us at patreon.com/michiganpodcast this week's twitter poll results where would you pick michigan to finish in the big 10 east division narrowly Third place by two-tenths of a percentage point. Uh, Beat out fourth place, which is, you just saw, that's where I have the Wolverines uh, finishing in fourth in the Big Ten East. Uh, Second place was at 17.1%. Fifth place was at 11.4%. And I do believe this Michigan team is probably, uh, well, not probably, certainly closer to finishing fifth than finishing first. That brings us to our feedback of the week. And it comes from Lewis Blake, who in response to this poll tweeted to me, the fact there is no option for first place really shows how we feel about this team. I I don't know how you could put that and be serious, uh, the idea on the table that they're going to win the Big Ten or even the Big Ten East. First of all, they haven't won the Big Ten East. They've, They've been to as many Big Ten championship games as Rutgers has. So I don't know how you could do that. Uh, they were two and four last year. We, we've got now, since one of them left to be a head coach, seven different head coaches uh, this offseason. We have an unproven quarterback. The guy who looks like the certain starter has played one meaningful game, and he played well, but it was against Rutgers, man. 
Rutgers. All right, so I, I don't know what the objective case for finishing in first place is. We haven't won the league in 15 years. We've got one win over Ohio State uh, during that span. So, you know, over the weekend I was watching the uh, the rivalry that HBO Sports did on Michigan-Ohio State, that documentary about 15 years ago, watching with my son, and wow, was that just so well done. But it was bittersweet to watch. made me sad. Uh, my son just has not been given the blessing of growing up with that as those of us in my generation were. You know, I mean, he's he's watched Purdue beat Ohio State five times this century and Michigan do it three. You know, so it, it just didn't resonate with him. I mean, this was this might as well have been a silent film uh, to a 14 year old teenager. All he wants to know is, hey, can I just not be embarrassed to go to school on Monday after the game this year? Can we at least do that? Just really sad to watch. I mean, Michigan has imploded the rivalry. It's not a rivalry right now any more than a hammer and a nail are a rivalry. One is the one end takes the pounding and the other gives it every time they meet, you know? So I would like that to end. And I would like it to end this year. I don't care who the coach is, what their name is, what astrological sign they are. I don't care. I just want to win. Period. That'll do it for this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. Next week, barring a a baby arrival that is pending any day now from our producer, Aaron, uh, we will be returning to weekly programming here on the channel, both with Michigan Podcast and Bigger Ten. So stay tuned for that. With Big Ten Media Days now here, uh, conference uh, or, or preseason uh, practices will begin here soon as well, right after the conference media days. So now is the time to gear up for the season at hand. Don't forget that you can do so by following us on Twitter at Michigan Podcast. And also, please, like, rate, subscribe, uh, follow, five-star review, whichever the case may be on however you are accessing this show, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Please do all those things that help us to reach more Michigan fans like you and let the world know that you dig this show and think you can dance. It's got a good beat and you can dance to it. Uh, That'll do it for this week's episode. Back again next week, baby permitting, to regularly weekly scheduled programming. Until then, I'm Steve Dace.